Hey, welcome everybody to Jam Radio episode three. I'm here with Rick the Hado. I had to figure out which way to point my thumb to your head. So how you doing? How's life? I'm doing all right. Enjoying quarantine as much as we can. I will say for the record, I'll start this podcast by saying you didn't want to wear this headset. But I really did not. The audio on your webcam was awful. So we had to compromise and you had to wear a headset because the audio is much better. Yep. And now I get to look extra awesome. Yeah, your neato headset. You look like it's like a stormtrooper headset. I'm a fan. It's cool. Yeah, it's not bad. It's all white and blue. It goes with the flannel. It's yeah. I do color. Yeah, there's like color blocking from your headset to your flannel, so that's good. I have no preparation on this at all. I just wore a gray t-shirt because it's what I do. Uh, but yeah, I hope life is treating you all right, even though you're stuck inside all day with you know quarantine life. All of us are coping in our own ways. Uh, so this is the third episode of the show. Uh, I've had two other people on, and each episode I want to focus on like a different avenue of stuff, you know. So I figured you guys announced CB is uh, canceled this Tuesday. That was the big announcement you guys had, and <clears throat> you announced some other initiatives that you're looking forward to for that. So I figured in this time of need, it would be good to chat about not only CB's cancellation, but events in general with you since, you know, you're a tournament organizer and have been for a long time, a job that I think is absurdly difficult and and strange to my mind. So I wanted to chat with you a little bit about it. It's not the best job. I don't advise it. <laughs> that's okay. So that's what I tell people. I'm like, it doesn't seem like it's a job that's like, man, I can't wait to be a TO. Like, it seems so stressful to me. But yeah, okay. I'm glad you, you started with that. Although it has its rewards, you should say, right? Most tough jobs have their perks. And those perks, when they show up, are fantastic. But they show up just enough that you don't quit, but too infrequently for the job to be great. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. That... <laughs> That is a good description of it. It's, it gives you, it like keeps you going, right? There's just enough to toe the line to be like, maybe it, you know, being a TO is not that bad. And then there's like a global pandemic, and you're like, shucks. I was almost get, I was yep. almost having a good year. You know, we found our new venue and everything. So yeah, I mean, this has been Combo Breaker has been on a wild like ride this year, right? Because you guys had at the end of last year, you guys had venue issues since the pheasant run are homely like uh, a state where we've been having Combo Breaker for many years now. Uh, is is being sold, right? And they're not offering, I guess, event spaces anymore? Yeah, so we found out first week December that the Pheasant Resort was going up for auction. Okay. Uh, our event was supposed to announce December 20th, so sure. that was uh, not the best. And as part of going up for auction, they were vacating all contracts after February. So I think it was February 23rd, all the event spaces were shut down, all the hotel rooms were shut down. It just became, you know, the ghost of Combo Breakers past. And that was it. And we had no event, no venue, and a lot of announcement prep that kind of went out the window. Yeah, so to give people a reference, Combo Breaker was on, it was on schedule to be announced December 20th. And the first day of December, you're like, oh, we now don't have a venue. And this is something that can just happen to a tournament organizer. It's not like it's that it's so unusual, right? To, to be fair, most of the time this isn't going to occur because you're going to have a contract and that contract is going to offer enough protections that to kick you out of your event space takes a truly extreme occurrence. A property going under, going to auction, getting sold, part of it getting sold, I think, to the local airport is enough of an extreme occurrence that new ownership doesn't have to follow through on any of those agreements because the company you had an agreement with is gone. Right. That is, they just don't exist anymore. They don't own it. They don't have it. They're out of there. Yep. So you guys reannounce a new venue 
and a new venue that is much bigger. And I, you know, you guys like when you first had to go to Pheasant Run, you were sort of forced into Pheasant Run by being in a new bigger venue space, right? And this is a similar transition going into Combo Breaker this year. Yeah. So we we used to be at the Crown Plaza in 2015, which was a significantly smaller venue. It was about 18,000 square feet all in. When we outgrew that venue year one, we were, for lack of a longer story, too scared to go bigger because we we're not really making any money. The amount of risk that goes into increasing event size is significant. And so we were just going to run it back like it was the Ultimate Fighting Game Tournament 2.0 forever. Yeah. Um, we found out shortly thereafter that our representative at that hotel, without talking to us during our event, had actually booked weddings oh. for the weekend that we normally run. And so calls us up going, how do you feel about this weekend or that weekend in August? Like, well, we run a tournament Memorial Day weekend and have for the last six years. Yeah. Uh, don't feel great about that. So what's up? Um, that led to looking for a new venue. Thankfully, we found that out almost right away. So okay. we had a long time to look, could actually build some relationships, get set up. Whereas I'm pretty happy with the Renaissance Schomburg overall in terms of it being a larger space and having the utilities we need. It kind of just probably being a nicer hotel than we need to be at in most regards sure uh, but we didn't have a long time to build up that rapport yeah i mean part, too late. part of like the, even the venue stuff is not only meeting with the people and talking about stuff but going on site and checking out the venue right yeah i, I drove down and still did a walkthrough and kind of met some of the service staff but i mean we lost the original venue the first week of december we announced january 14th for the new venue we had to have all the contracting done at that point. We had to talk through with all the secondary venues at that point. Had to sit down with the companies that rent you chairs <laughs> per chair, mind you. That's um, absurd. For amounts of money so that we can talk them into a rate that we can maybe afford. <laughs> yeah. That's that's um, the interesting thing about events, too, is people always talk about that. Like, you have to pay per square foot of carpet and per chair and per, you know, like, the internet, you have to buy different tiers of this and you have to buy different tiers. There's, like, so much stuff that goes into being a tournament organizer that you end up having to pay for and itemize and the cost just dramatically goes up and up and up and up and eventually, like, it just seems to me like it's one of those things where in the beginning you're like, all right, we can get this for a steal, get that for a steal, get this for a steal, and then eventually as it's going on, you're like, we need too much stuff, we just got to get it. The event is coming up, you know? Well, and, and the hard part around that is aside from just needing things, there aren't really set rates. Hmm. The cost of these items change state to state, city to city, venue to venue. Ah. And then even once you get hard costs, you can negotiate through to discounted rates, which are what you know people actually pay versus the list price. It's that insurance problem. Mm -hmm. um, or you just can't go to the place at all. We hit up a couple of venues that I thought would be great opportunities and they came back going, Oh, you want how much internet? Cool. That'll be $190,000. Like for for the whole show, for everything? Laboring? No, no, just the pipeline. Uh, <laughs> Does that come with the guy who plugs it into the wall? No, no, he's 200 an hour. Like, all right, well, we're, we're not going to go to this venue. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you're like, no, uh, like you know how much you know what I could do with that much money? I could go buy a house somewhere. Like what? I'm not I'm not going to buy internet from you for a house. You know, I would Wait. rather not. My favorite part is I was talking to one of the uh, one of the internet guys at one of these venues, and he's like, "Well, don't worry, you can just pass the cost on to your consumer." It's like I feel bad charging eighty five dollars. Do you understand how many hundreds of dollars per ticket I have to charge based on our average attendance for just your internet? I've still got to rent chairs, homie. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And the thing is, is 
you can't just like do this and then raise the ticket sales for everybody else and everything's cool, right? If the if the venue and the ticket goes up ten dollars, suddenly a lot of people are like, wow, that's ten extra dollars to go to the. I, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna go to the. And meanwhile, you've got a hundred and ninety thousand dollar internet bill, and you're like, how am I gonna pay for this, right? Well, and the, the messed up part is again, those prices they don't stick. So I right. had an event that we worked a while back for something else where they were gonna charge us one hundred and forty thousand dollars for the internet. And by the time it was all said and done, they charged that event $41,000 for internet. And I'm sitting there going, if you can offer us an $80,000 discount on anything, where is your pricing coming from? Yeah, and not only that, but if you can drop it $80,000, you're making money still, right? If the if it goes down $80,000 and everything's still cool on their end, they're making money no matter what, right? Let's just, let's just drop it another thirty. dollars Yeah. <laughs> still making $10,000 a day? Come on. Yeah, and thirty thousand at that point for you is much more affordable than one hundred and forty thousand, right? You're like, all right, cool. We can There's just no drop version it. of thirty thousand that's affordable. Let's yeah. let's pause there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that all, that all leads up to the fact that you guys secured, you were ready. CB was going to happen this year, and then obviously, coronavirus comes through. A lot of events are having issues, and we saw with other tos. I I chatted a little bit about it, but I'm not a tournament organizer. One of the big issues that everybody was running into this year was like they wanted to stop their events because, you know, gatherings are not happening because of corona and all kinds of stuff going on. But they're they're kind of in a weird place where if they personally cancel the event, they have to pay for everything, right? And if it comes from, you know, the governing body or the event space or anything else, then it's a little different. Well, it's, again, that's going to depend venue to venue, contract to contract, organizer to organizer. But what right. it usually boils down to is most contracts include a force majeure and or an impossibility clause. Right. And those portions of the agreement in a variety of circumstances can void the agreement or change the parameters of the agreement so that you can kind of get around issues. Mm -hmm. What we saw a lot with a ton of fighting game events this year is, one, we have a ton of grassroots organizers who are not legal businesses. So they're filling out the contracts as their personal name. Yeah. They may or may not have that force majeure. They may or may not have that impossibility clause. And then on top of that, even organizers that have those items might be looped into hotels or convention centers that are arguing that a pandemic may not be specifically named in the force majeure or the impossibility clause. So even if you have broader language that's supposed to cover it because it's not itemized language, right. they're willing to go to court to argue with you because if you owe them $150,000, dollars $300,000, if they got to spend forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in lawyer fees, yeah, sure, fine. We're still coming out two hundred grand ahead where if you're – Jimmy Smith from Ohio running your 800-person fighting game tournament under your own name, your choices are personal bankruptcy, praying the government shuts you down, and probably crying yourself to sleep at night. Yeah, and that's... You, you don't that's, really have other outs. You can't afford a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. And that's the situation so many of our TOs find themselves in, just sort of uncontrollably because of what's going on right like it's it's not something that's expected and like you say the language may say fires earthquakes you know it may say we, all this other stuff but it's not going to say oh if there's a global pandemic you know and even if they want to argue it like yeah you can't afford to beat them in court right it just costs you so much time and effort and money so it is a very scary thing for a lot of rtos and i think my, my concern is not only that many tos maybe can't afford to run an event next year but that they'll be worried to run an event with you know stuff like this happening I think when you hit this kind of situation, the morale just gets beaten out of you. So you have uh, Michigan Masters is a great example of this. It's run by people who want to run tournaments, who have experience running tournaments, who have just enough resources to run a tournament well, have relationships to make sure that they can get 
their gear and a good volunteer pipeline and all the pieces to make it work, but it's running on fumes even on a good day. Right. And so you get through a situation like this where it almost destroyed your entire life, and you don't always want to do that again. The, the reward is just too insignificant. Yeah, you're not just like, all right, guys, 2021, we'll be back. Like it's it's like God, what a ho- I can't believe we survived that. You know what I mean? Like the feeling yeah. is not of cool, we'll do it next year. It's of oh my gosh, that could that was almost it. You know what I mean? I mean, Dreamland almost bodied CEO Gaming. In fact, the entire pandemic might just be because Jabali chose to run Dreamland again because it went so well last time that. <laughs> You just have to run it back. You have to, it's like yeah. sitting down at the setup and going, I'm going to win one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years from now when you're out of quarters. Yeah. So <laughs> it was not, just... I, I do recall the last Dreamland being like slightly worse than a, or slightly better than a disaster is how it was no, described. No, no, It was a disaster. Dreamland last time almost bankrupted CEO. <laughs> No more Smash tournaments for Jabali ever. No more, you heard it here first. No more Dreamlands ever. Like, I, I blame the entire pandemic on Alex's pride. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Without this, it wouldn't have happened. It was all his fault. If he'd uh, run a Melty Blood tournament, we'd all be gravy right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm with it. It's definitely, it's got to happen, right? Like, I'm nothing, don't run a Smash tournament, right? That's all. <laughs> no, a Smash only tournament. It'll do fine at CEO proper. Yeah, so you guys are among, I guess, many many tournaments who who went into um, this year expecting to happen, and then I guess now cancel. So what is the? You guys are, you know, as always, combo breaker is so extra. That's the way I describe you guys. You're so extra about your experiences and how you want everybody to feel. So you guys have announced that you guys are officially canceling, right? But there was more on it than i think most people had you guys opened up your merch shop which is i think really cool a lot of people still like the merch cb has dope merch but also you guys announced a stream that i'm going to be a part of and that some other people are going to be yeah, a part thanks of. for that yeah so what what's the plan with all of this and what is the idea behind doing extra stuff aside from i guess you guys just canceling so it it really just kind of comes down to i still run tournaments under the pretense that i want to go to the tournament that i run um that's legitimately the impetus behind it happening um, right. And so if I've got to cancel and I'm not going to have my event and we've got extra product sitting around that's already been ordered or we have some of those pieces, let's get that to people. So let's figure out what partnerships can we make that can actually get that out to everyone. So in the void of Combo Breaker not existing, you can at least have, you know, the lanyard or something to feel comedically bittersweet about. And then once we get to the weekend, we used to have three days of content to watch. And right now, there is plenty of stuff to watch across the board. There won't be CB. There won't be that presumed community rally point. So let's put together a retrospective show, probably based on timelines, like 30 matches a day, probably, that are just some of the best matches or coolest matches in the history of our convention. And then we're hoping that a lot of people who have been to the event or have watched the broadcast will send in stories and kind of folklore moments just cell phone videos even so that we can have just a good weekend of community vibes and community moments. Cause there's a lot of cool stuff that happens at events that never makes a stream, but is important to that atmosphere. Like I, uh, I think back a lot to 2016 when we went to pheasant run the first time and we didn't have any of the clout necessary for them to keep that bar open. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't eat after 10 PM. Right. It was terrible. 
And Justin had won, as Justin always does, a bunch of the retro tournaments. So he's just sitting on cash. And he wound up ordering a bunch of pizzas from a place that would still deliver and didn't care who ate them. So if you walked by the bar at, I think it was 11.45 or something, there's just this fleet of pizza. And then <laughs> Justin and his crew and altogether at the time, nobody that I knew and nobody that I think he even knew just eating pizza off of ST winnings. Yeah. So, Which is like, it's it's not anything you will ever see on stream or even ever hear about again. Because I hadn't even heard this story and I was there, right? Like, I had no idea that this even went down. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can fill a broadcast of that. Because I find, I personally find a lot of that interesting. And so, I'm hoping that other people would too. But if nothing else, it gives us something, it gives us something to talk about as a community for a couple of days. So, I, I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we're out of matches to talk about. There's still online tournaments going on. You've got 20 years where the Street Fighter to still be doing analysis on. But all those pieces around the games that our conventions are really made up of, we've lost all of those in the past few months. We're going to lose them for the months carrying forward. So, if they can only exist in memory, we need places to share that. Yeah. And so, for that, you said you're going to gather up of like, I kind of, I guess, the best of, oh no, the best of the matches that have uh, come out of Combo Breaker, but also some of the best of like moments and stuff. So, is there like a place where you're going to be gathering all of your stuff uh, for everything? Like a place where people can send in matches, I guess, and moments and stories and memories and things like that? Yeah. So, we're going to put out a couple of tweets and posts within the next couple of weeks, but really it just boils down to if you can record some horizontal video. <laughs> Hor- horizontal being the keyword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't want to do. Uh, if you can just find YouTube clips that are interesting to you or, or videos, throw them over to info at combobreaker.org. We're going to try to sort through all that, see what fits around the matches that our staff or our fans have recommended, and see if we can't make a really cool show out of it. Yeah, and the plan is you guys will be live Combo Breaker weekend as always. Yes. And for each day, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like the tournament always is. Yep. So hope hope here... This is all still kind of being developed, so some of this can change, is that we'd go live by noon on Friday, be done something between 8 and 10, do the same thing on Saturday, same thing on Sunday, so that you still have an entire weekend of CB-related stuff. Yeah. Have you guys thought about whether people can like co-stream it or restream it or anything like that? Uh, my hope is that they would be able to. I'm a big proponent of restreaming and co-streaming anyway, so yeah. I've got to... I got to talk to the channels that we're broadcasting on and kind of make sure that they're cool with it. I'm assuming they will be. So preemptive. Yeah. Go for broke. Cool. Well, that's something we'll figure out for sure in the future. Cause I'm sure like lots of people will want to watch combo breaker together with their chat rooms. Like they always do, especially since everybody's locked at home, right? Like all of us are kind of be stuck there thinking about like being at combo breaker and people will probably share their own stories and stuff. So besides just having that stream, you guys are doing a magazine, that you're sending so, to everybody who registered? Every single person. And people can also buy it. I think it's on the shop. Yeah. So normally we have uh, basically a 50-page program guide that's a bunch of articles about the games we're running, some art, the venue maps, some of those pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a prepaid item that we tend to pay for in mid-March. Right. And the shop that we're working with is actually okay with us swapping out a bunch of the assets for that they're not cool on just kind of canceling the order because they're (laughs) dying as a business right now sure but they're totally okay with us changing what's in it so we're pivoting that to be more of a uh more of a collection of community essays a bunch of articles about the game still have some art in it um okay 
probably a bunch of photos from the last five years. And I did notice you had made a tweet asking about writers, and I assume that's the project that it's for. Yep. Okay, cool. Because, I, I mean, yeah, you mentioned that before. It had venue maps in it and other things to do around the location. I don't think people will need venue maps uh, if they're getting no. this shipped to their, their homes. Unfortunately. Yeah, so no venue maps. So instead, uh, maybe new, like new pieces, I assume, for articles or uh, history about Combo Breaker or other things related to the games or the matches or stories and stuff like that around it. I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, so there's there's going to be some pieces in there from St. Cola, Ace King Offsuit, Jenny, uh, Pat the Flip. Uh, cool. We got Super FX working on something. Uh, a couple other people. So the goal here is that it'll at least be a cool magazine. Maybe not quite a coffee table book, but right. something that you don't want to immediately throw away when you're done with it. Yeah, and I think in the other years, the the Combo Breaker books are really cool, too. Like, you know, you guys had them last year, and I think you even did something smaller the year before that, if I remember right. We did. Yeah, so you you guys have done them for a while. I think they're, like, a really cool idea, especially this year with everybody, you know, not being able to go. Oh, and speaking of which, everybody who registers gets one, and everybody who registered, they're getting refunded and stuff like that. If they want information about that, they should check out the big blog, uh, blog post you guys posted, because I know yes. I saw it right away in the comments. Like, the very first thing in there is, like, hey, guys, you know, it's going to be canceled. We're going to be refunding you of this if you missed anything. And the very first post was, like, hey, do I get my money, bro? What's, the, what's going on, man? <laughs> so we wrote a... Yeah, we wrote an overlong article that tried to cover every question we could think of that was right. peer-reviewed. I, I even had Ultra David check in on it so that mm-hmm. he could add even bigger words than I normally use. Sure. And as expected, no one reads that. So you spend the entire day on social answering all those same questions anyways, which right. is one of the many, many joys of being a TO. Yeah, you sort of just have to cover through everything. So let's see here. You guys still have your shop, right? That's something that's going to happen. You guys are selling merch. You guys are selling a magazine. Uh, along with it, everybody who did register is going to get their magazine, and you guys are refunding as well. And not only that, you're going even extra and still trying to have a broadcast Combo Breaker weekend instead of just having nothing, I guess. Is there anything else around Combo Breaker that is still happening that you guys are trying to do? Well, I mean, so everyone that we're refunding is getting their magazine, their badge, their lanyard, and any Mm -hmm. of the merch they ordered. Right. Um, We have the store open for the time being. Don't think we're sold out of anything that wasn't a 2019 item yet but at pace it probably will mm-hmm. which is great because maybe we don't wind up desperately in the hole after that right uh we'll have the broadcast coming up memorial day weekend and if we run out of all the stuff that we have currently i might try to get a couple more shirts up but other than that i think that's everything we're doing wow yeah i mean that's, that's still a lot of stuff i mean most events are just I mean, I think we expect most of the events for the year kind of to just not happen, right? There's, like, all the announcements about the tours and stuff. So it seems like, to me, Combo Breaker might end up being one of the only events that actually has a broadcast around it. Because you mentioned there's a lot of stuff to watch, and I th- I think there is. But at the same time, it does kind of feel... Our, our weekends feel a bit empty, you know what I mean? Oh, it's it's interesting because being home all the time now, I have more media to consume than ever before but i have fewer people to consume it with than at any point in my entire life and so i'm i'm actually consuming less which is strange but yeah it is what it is it is very weird it is there there's something charming about the idea of like wow i can stay home all day and watch netflix and do this or whatever but you like can't go out with your friends and do anything you can't like gather up and go to a local or any of those kinds of experiences that we're kind of normally used to for fighting games and Combo Breaker itself is such a special feeling about it being a festival, and I, I like that you wanted to highlight a lot of the stories, I guess, around CB, since that to me is the the part about it that feels so special. So you 
still are answering people in the chat who are asking these questions anyway. You're, you can you never stop, I see. Um, yeah, so you guys are still doing all that. And uh, I, I was going to say, there are people who are asking not to be refunded for other events. And is Combo Breaker one of those events that if you are interested in not receiving a refund, you you guys will consider it? We will. Um, we're not in a place financially where we can't. So it's an, it's an appreciated gesture. It's just not expected. One of the things we chose to do when we canceled was not put a donation drive up, not run that kind of route. It's part of why we have the store up. I want people, if they're going to give us money to exist, I want to make sure they have something in return. That's maybe a beaten into me capitalist kind of belief, but it's ingrained in who I am. I want to make sure that if you spend money, you get something for it. Right. Um, with that said, we've had quite a few registrants that have hit us up, um, rejected their refund, even though it's been offered. All of that money is helping us recoup losses on the year since this was the most expensive event dev Calibreaker has had. So that's appreciated. Um, and will hopefully allow us to ensure that 2021 is the event we expected 2020 to be. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's interesting. You guys were focusing on you know moving into a new event space. So it's kind of like now going into 2021, the plan is to do the event at the same location, but you now have yes. a much longer time to kind of like prepare and I guess, yeah, the dev of it is you have a longer period to get ready for it. So realistically, if we have, if we're able to recoup most of the costs from this year, and that's everything from just web hosting fees to money lost on deposits, um, this will be the long, single longest development window we've ever activated. Because normally we get done with Combo Breaker, uh, have a good morale week or two, sit down and go, that was a lot of work. I don't know if I really want to do that again. Even if we know, even if we know we're going to, yes, yeah. I don't think we've had a situation yet where we weren't going to, it takes till about September for everybody to sit down and go, okay, we're doing this again. Right? <laughs> um, whereas right now we're, we're pre-committed. So the yeah. venue's expecting us Memorial day weekend next year, all the rooms for anybody who booked for 2020 have rolled through. So they don't have to fight for rooms again. Although I should, clarify there they can call and get that canceled until may yeah so if you don't know if you're going to make it or if you just need the money right now call and get it canceled because they'll flip you the deposit um but it also means that many of the partners we were going to work with this year uh thankfully already committed to working with us next year wow so like astro was going to be involved in this year's event we were going to announce that they were powering the event actually <laughs> this week oh i see um They've rolled through to 2021. Some of that is actually helping us be able to do the plan currently where we're mailing all the items out to people since that is an expense. Yeah. Um, but it's also now giving us a ton of time to dev out the event more aggressively, find more partnerships that might help the event grow, find more staff who might have ideas around improving it. Um, I can go through like 30 versions of a floor plan this time instead of the kind of seven we went through. You already always show me like nine different versions of a floor plan. And like, it's like six months out of combo breaker. And you're like, all right, so here's the floor plan. This is going to be this ballroom. <laughs> We're going to do the activate this here. And I'm like, I know what half of this means. Like, I have no idea if the floor plan is good or not, but I'm like, let me take a look. And you just like break it down. <laughs> You'll, I mean... The, the, the good and the bad thing about that with the new venue is because of the fire marshal restrictions in this place, the mm -hmm. floor plan has to be locked many, many months ahead of the event. Whereas okay. Pheasant Run, because of the rapport we had over there and having run it for so many years, it was really just, hey, we're going to show up next week. Cool. What's the floor plan look like? Yeah, you know, 
Now, obviously, that never actually happened, but they literally would have let us do that. Right. We could have just shown up. Some fire marshal would have walked through and gone, so none of this is legal. Yeah. <laughs> Who approved this? Yeah. But new guy, we definitely don't have that kind of rope. Yeah. So you got to make sure everything is planned out. Everything is like where it's got to be. Your T is all crossed and your I's are dotted and everything is all good. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I never really thought that. Yeah, because you guys are pre-committed to next year. You have so much time to sit and think and like kind of scheme about how to improve combo breaker for 2021, which I you guys are already too powerful when you start with like only six months. Don't oversell it. But <laughs> I have I have high hopes that next year will not only be the event we were hoping this year will be, but better actually because of this hardship. Yeah. Which, I mean, interestingly, I guess that was kind of the plan for this year anyway when you guys were going to move to a new bigger venue on like a super short notice anyway. So it was going to force force everybody to step up to the plate and already, you know, you guys have some time to think about it now. And it's interesting you guys are already pre-committed to 2021 because I think a lot of people are kind of worried about other events and like whether they'll survive and, and what events will feel the pain from this kind of year and come back in 2021. I don't imagine a lot of fighting game events below the top level i mean even we saw i guess ceo have some issues but a lot of fighting game events outside of the big three in the u.s will be okay for next year if they were planned earlier in this year i think it'll depend on the agreements kind of the response what those organizers do how the community reacts towards them in the next six months right um we're definitely committed to next year in part because if we're gonna die i really want to die on my own terms yeah (laughs) so the exception to that being, you know, if my partner dips out or like Curly W dies, CB's done. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah. But... Curly, you better stay inside. You wash your hands. <laughs> I better not catch you not washing your hands. Uh, uh, no, yeah. I got high hopes. Okay, that's cool at least. It's good to hear that you guys uh, are, are planning that at least. Another thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of CB, and I, I don't know how often you guys talk about this. I know it was in the video that Esteban covered, but one of the big things about CV is people always ask, would you want to expand even bigger and do a bigger event and do this event and that event? One thing that you guys were okay with and about staying at Fezzer Run was you didn't want to actually like make the event bigger and bigger and bigger. There is a sort of capped space where you guys were like, yeah, you know, in this space, we operate and we do a dope tournament. And if we expand too much, it might ruin the experience for people and maybe make it not as controlled as we could. Yep. So even last year, we had feedback that CB had gotten too big or CB wasn't what it used to be. And the truth of the matter, that's true. It, CB in 2019 was seven, eight times what CB was in 2015. Right. And this event this year might have been larger still. And I think there is a point at which the scale of an event as an experience breaks. And it either becomes something significantly different that can also be cool, also be good, or significantly different in a way that's no longer representational of what you enjoyed about it when it was smaller. And the kind of 5,000-ish person event that we were running last year is a very good size to me. It feels like a big room. You can have the spirit bomb moment with Anakin that has enough people that it feels like a sea of raised arms and everybody all in together now kind of stuff. And I don't know if that for me personally is legitimately better at 10,000 people. Right. Um, it's different. It's cool. It's still worth experiencing, but it's, it's not the same. And so we always wanted to be the equivalent of the big band and the midsize club, because uh, from a concert standpoint, that's my favorite experience. And from a fighting game convention standpoint, I think we'd hit that, mm-hmm. but obviously we got pushed out of pheasant run. 
Um, Pheasant Run was in a weird spot in Illinois where there's almost nothing else in the state that's right at that size. So our options were either dramatically shrink, and I was very content with the size of the event we were at. I didn't want to shrink down and have to increase ticket fees to maintain premium against expected experience or presentation. Um, And I didn't want to balloon up into a convention center that I didn't think we could fill uh, and definitely couldn't afford to be in. And so Schaumburg Renaissance kind of fits in the middle. We are being forced to expand. We are going to be larger. I don't think there's any way around that for us at this point. But I think the space is going to allow us to create pockets within the event sure, yeah. that hopefully look and feel like what last year looked and felt like. So um, one of the one of the big goals for us, just from the floor plan that you didn't get to see, um, was we were actually taking our convention center and splitting it into, into the equivalent of two CBs. Right, okay. Where it matched last year's presentation exactly. Yeah, but, where you guys had the separate like retro ballroom essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, except this time, all of that staging would actually be uniform. So okay. it wouldn't be kind of this down curve of where were we running out of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, all right, well, this is kind of like this dingy little side room that is really cool and feels kind of retro, but it it has to feel and look kind of retro because <laughs> it's just this side room, right? Instead, it's like, okay, this feels and looks like the rest of Combo Breaker. Yeah. And that's going to be a different experience, and I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but my hope is that it is either equal to the experience that people had better than the experience that people had or now unique enough in its own right that although it's different and maybe different in a way that you don't prefer is still different in a way that you find acceptable and enjoyable right one thing that i think is interesting about the way that you've talked about designing events and how your event is created is it's very similar in all the talks that i've had with everybody so far on the show everybody whatever they do and whatever they create it's always the intention is I would like to make something that reflects what I enjoy, right? So Gerald talked about that when he talked about videos. Hanzo talked about that when he came to production and wanted to improve. And it's the same thing for you. The kind of event that Combo Breaker should be or needs to be is an event that you personally would want to attend or be at or something like that. Yeah, I've got, I mean, my two big barometers in life is do I appreciate what I've created? Because if I can't feel good about it, if I can't respect it, I shouldn't be making it. And if my boys from Minnesota come, which was the main reason we followed up on Ultimate Fighting Game Tournament when that retired, was if that disappeared, there was no regional tournament for Minnesota to drive to anymore. Right. That everything was significantly out of range. You have to either do the multi-day drive or the overnight or jump on a flight. And so if they come down to the event, is it going to meet their expectations? Are they going to have a good time? And a lot of those guys are 30 plus now. So they're hyper opinionated about where they're going, what they're doing. The idea of just packing six people into a car and 10 people into a hotel room to go oh and two and then get drunk just doesn't hold the same appeal. Your back hurts. You know, you got, you got kids, <laughs> you got a family, you got so much disposable income. You know, you're like, I could be at home in my bed away from all of this, not losing and spending less money. Yeah. So I just I want to make sure that we're always building an actual weekend experience, because I think particularly now, depending on what game you're playing, you can get the experience of just competing locally or even in your bedroom. Right. If you're playing K.I. But. I want there to be more than that. Right. And that I think that makes sense. Right. Like that's 
when you described a combo breaker as a festival experience, I never realized how accurate it was to like the feeling of literally people walking around drinking and just like staring at staging and being like, whoa, this is cool. And then like they drink and they walk to the next thing. They're like, bro, this is tight. And yep. I see someone, I'm like, hey, I saw you yesterday night. How was casuals? He's like, I never went to bed. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like it's definitely its own unique thing. Yeah, we we framed almost everything that CB is actually after Warp Tour. Okay. Because going to that type of outdoor walk around festival is one of my favorite experiences personally because you go in to maybe see or do one or two things. Like I'm going to see this band and I'm going to go to this vendor's booth and at the end of the day that's the only thing I bought my ticket for. Yeah. And this is a 2-day festival, I'm going to be here 12 hours. There's a lot of time there to fill. And so wandering around, discovering new bands, meeting new people, finding somebody in line to buy overpriced corn dog kind of why are we here doing this to our bodies? And yet that bonds you. Yeah. You become friends over that shared suffrage. Um, suffering, not suffrage. But yeah, I don't know. That's what we're after. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good tournament experience because I don't think people realize like if you go to a tournament and you enter two games or something or three games the amount of time in a weekend you spend playing in tournament is so small, especially if you're not making it far. And yeah. even if you are making it far, you play a two-hour pool, and maybe you play a two-hour semis, and you lose at the end of that. That's four hours total, maybe over two days of a three-day event that you're there in the ballroom 12 hours a day. It's, like, so yeah. small. of the. I tell people all the time in, in my chat, especially, too, it's like when you guys go to tournaments, so much of the tournament is not playing in the ma- playing matches, right? Like, casuals and walking around and watching stuff that's so much of the experience and i think combo breaker does that really well that's part of why we started having 24-hour venues which in hindsight was either our worst decision or best decision of all time it seems really hard to do correctly i gotta say it's awful (laughs) (laughs) it there are so many negatives with (laughs) running an overnight experience but there are so many positive attendee stories that come out of that so many moments that come with that um we're stuck doing it forever now (laughs) to the point where most other events have overnight rooms and yeah that makes sense they have to and you guys have forced their hands i think i mean that was one thing that i was going to ask before we get into the last thing i was going to talk about have you noticed a lot of what combo breaker has done reflected in other events like the kinds of things you guys have sort of done has that set the standard you think for other fighting game tournaments i don't know if it sets a standard but it sets a comparison point so we have i think we have events now that like cb have decided that their tournament is also a brand Mm. not just an event so something like east coast throwdown puts a lot of effort into making sure that everything from their logo to their website to their merch to their presenting partnership is all thematic in a way that makes that experience feel unique um i think some of our decisions around how the volunteer pipeline work changed stuff at ceo which I was also working out at the time, and Curly was too. So it's there's significant overlap there too. Um, some of our practices around rewarding the volunteer pipeline as actual paid positions with additional kind of event bonuses are now pretty standardized for events that can afford to do it, at least right. within our peer category. There's plenty of conventions and stuff outside of fighting games that have done that before us. We didn't invent that, but that has happened. I know... When we adopted doing three out brackets, 
uh, that proliferated a little bit, uh, which again, didn't come from our event first, but the awareness of it coming off of CB kind of kicked it out and around. So. That part is so interesting to me too, because I remember at first that was a very negative, like I don't remember people being super excited for it at first. And then once people yeah. saw it and they played in it or they experienced why it's good, people immediately were like, bro, why isn't this tournament doing three out? Why isn't this tournament doing three out? Three out so much better. It was something that I think people had to, their first reactions to it were almost very negative. I think change is almost uniformly scary to a amassment of people. Like an right. individual person can sit down, have a conversation, go, why are you doing this thing? Here's why. Here's my rationale for it. Here's the team's belief behind it. Do you agree? No. Are you okay with us doing it? Yeah, you know, we'll give it a shot. Take a giant Twitter mind share and go, we're going to alter an aspect of this thing that you're accustomed to and right. love and defend to death when somebody brings up something like an extended series. Yeah. Um, it's a hardship. So you actually have to get through, I think, the experience of it. And then if the experience goes well, it becomes an acceptable change and then a desired change. Right. But someone's always got to kick the can down the road first. And most of the time that's going to backfire. So yeah. it's, it takes a bit of, it takes a bit of trial and error and yeah, it takes people getting used to it for sure. Cause I, I remember, I think I was explained it first. And I remember when I talked about it on stream, a lot of people being like, boo, like people were like pissed about it. And I was like, <laughs> all right, like it's uh, cool, man. Like, all right, well, we'll see how it goes. And then now, yeah, I think people really, really like that kind of stuff and uh what i was gonna say is the next topic i wanted to ask about was you know you've had a, a hand in qu quite a lot of tour designing for fighting games and one of the big things that i think you've worked on that people really like is the tekken tour last year which i think was awesome and the dojo system in the tekken tour i remember when you told me about the tekken tour i thought the dojo system was a really cool idea and I recall when it first got announced, people were pissed. People did not like the idea of locals giving you points, and they were like, nope, this is a horrible idea. This is going to ruin the Tekken Tour. Well, I think the response was split. There was there was definitely people that were positive Boo! coming off of that. But again, change is scary, yeah. and change can be good, and change can be bad. And something like the Dojo system was a coin flip. One of the reasons it took forever to get anyone to approve that, because I pitched that to tours since... 2015 because that format predated even like the curly circuit which used it to kind of run its league at the time um there however is to me a really strong reason to keep the community engaged at a local level to make that competition matter in some way that can be impactful on a global level because at the end of the day tours are about awareness Right. There's an argument of, well, we're out to find the best player in the world, and you're never going to do that. These tours require either too much travel or too much consistent performance, or maybe you're from Mexico and we still haven't been able to even get a tour stop into your area. Um, so if we're not guaranteedly finding the absolute best player in the world objectively if we're finding right. the best player in the world subjectively sure that means what we're really trying to do is just create awareness around the game around the people who play the game and create some either new or renewed passion around trying to be the best from the perspective of this tour yeah and and starting at the local level right yeah if you have to have 
something to do to feel good about. You go to your first tournament, you lose. You go to your 12th tournament and go one and two. You go to your 20th tournament and get out of pools. Maybe you finally get into the qualifying rounds. You eventually get to the top eight. You suffer for many, many, many years at second um, win. There, there's this huge trajectory of kind of benchmarks for feeling good about where you're at competitively. And the only position that matters is champion. Right. And so how do we create some value for all of those positions behind champion that either can serve as a benchmark or provide you a moment to feel good about or give you a bragging right of some sort over the next man? Because at the end of the day, this is all either you're playing with your friends or you're playing with your rivals. There's not a lot of in-between. Yeah, for sure. And, And that small benchmark, it could be even something like, your local tournament that you helped build is now a TWT event because it's a dojo. And somebody's like, look, I got TWT points. I'm on, like, you know, I'm on this website. And then it's even, I have more points than this player who hasn't traveled anywhere yet. Bro, I'm better yep. than, you know, Kakoma hasn't <laughs> gone anywhere this year. I got more points than Kakoma. And then he wins the next tournament. But that doesn't matter because for a moment there, you screenshot it and you're number, you know, 43 and Kakoma's right down here. And you're like, damn, he's bad. <laughs> like, you get well, to do it's... that. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of, I had a buddy back when the Road to Evo existed, mm-hmm. who finally got the one lousy Evo point certificate. A, a single you, one, right? Yeah. A single point. He framed that, he put it on his wall, it's still on his wall, and we'll go and we'll play games, and there'll be 12 guys from Minnesota crowded into his apartment, and he'll lose for 45 minutes, because at this point, he's definitely terrible, mm-hmm. and then... You'll talk a little trash, and it goes like, I got my evil point, though. And you all got an evil point? You see that? That's my evil point, dog. And it's like, yeah, here's my trophy. That's my evil point, though. You ain't got one of those. Yeah, I'll have it forever. You can never take it away from me. It's on the wall. It's on the wall. When I move, I will pull it off the wall and put it somewhere else. Yep. Which is, yeah, it's great. That is a very good thing for sure. So when when it comes to, like, something like the dojo system, and I guess this is related to a lot of the stuff we've talked so far, how much of, of this is stuff that you have thought about and decided how to implement it in fighting games? How much of it comes from other places? You talked a lot about, I guess, in Combo Breaker, how there's inspirations from Warp Tour and other tournament series, and the volunteer program came from other places. And in my talks with everybody, it seems like inspirations always come from all over the place. Yeah, I, I think at this point, it's very hard to have a new idea. Mm-hmm. But it's very easy to have a good idea that's either an expansion or a pivot of another project or another work. Right. So when we were when I was looking at the dojo system, it was coming from things like Friday Night Magic, where you can show up and collect either tangible rewards or uh, other real kind of point structure rewards. It's coming off of being able to remember something like Curly Circuit or Burst League or right. looking at power rankings from Smash Brothers or how do we take something that has worked in abstract and different ways across genres and apply it to what we're doing now exactly because those things you know they work in those communities and even if you bring it to your community it's not a new idea but it's a new idea for your community or maybe it's like changed in some way to fit i guess the community that you're involved with right and that stuff i think it always works yep um something like tech and world tour limiting the amount of points that you could get from different competition tiers that came from tennis yeah and I mean that so, was in the that was in the Smash World Tour when they announced as well. It was the same kind of format where they were like, "Hey, we have different tiers of events, and you know you can only earn X amount of this one and this one and that one." And yeah, oh, yeah, I, the, 
the Arc System Works tour and the Smash World tour that uh, VG Bootcamp put together is very much format-wise a follow-up to what Tekken was, which I'm fine with because I really like the format that Tekken launched in 2019. I think it's there are a couple of small things to probably pivot, but in terms of what a fighting game tour can be or should be now, based on how our community operates and kind of the resources in it, that feels like the right product to me. Right. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, what, what even... For those of us who have no idea, right? Because so many people throughout the year, they have no idea how these tours even begin to be thought of or decided on or why they happen in a way that they happen. Like what, how I imagine miserable and long and just frustrating is the process of making a fighting game tour a reality? Uh, it's going to depend on the developers and the publishers that you're working with. But for something like Tekken World Tour, uh, you're going to work with Bandai Namco, which is actually multiple offices underneath right. one company. So there's an America's office, there's a Europe office, there's an Asia-Pacific office, there's the office in Japan where the Tekken project is uh, working out of. All of those businesses are going to have their own promotional goals and needs. So you have to figure out how do I cater to those? What are those goals? What regions do they need to hit within their uh, area promotionally? How do we go out into market and then activate enough events that we can do a point system that makes sense? How do we find enough TOs to put into that who are running events at scales or basic quality needs that a tour has to have? Because we're not going to have the finances to go and create 30 events worldwide. These right. events cost far too much money for that right now. And not um, only that, you probably also want the community to help with that, right, and be involved in that. Yes. I, I think there is great value in continuing to expand awareness and resources behind community tournaments because if we can get to a point where these are sustainable the organizers will keep running them in part because they're sustainable but you start running them because you are passionate about these games about this community about where you want to see these players go and what opportunities you want them to have and if you just start hiring that out to companies that produce product they they might produce a product and that product might be good but it's the equivalent of I don't know anyone that I could hire right now that feels the moral obligation to sit on Twitter and answer questions the way I do during an event weekend. Right. And I can hire people to do that, and I have. And some of them do a good job, but it's they're not compelled to do it. And if I have the opportunity to work with people who are compelled to create events, that's who I want to have in charge of events. Yeah. I also then have to work with all of them aggressively to make sure they're not all doing events on top of each other which is its own challenge but yeah i lost yeah. track of what they we were chatting about all the stuff that goes into a tour but that is a very good point and i i think that's something that within other communities is maybe not quite as common but for us you know having stuff i guess done by community is so important so yeah you mentioned that there's you got to work with all the offices you have to work with finding all these events available you have to make sure that everybody's happy with all the events on the tour i mean because you, not every office can just be like, oh, or not even in, in creating a tour, not everybody's always going to be happy. There's going to be a lot of like, okay, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this. How much of this can we even pack into one tour? What's the right format? Which events should be on there? You know, it's not so simple as like somebody in the chat said, like, why don't you just call Rada and have him do the whole tour and figure it all? Like, you know, he's going to want certain things and you're going to want certain things and this office is going to want certain things and this, you know, yeah, it's so complicated. It's a really difficult process to be honest. And it, it's one I f think I enjoy doing, but I always very quickly understand why some of the people that I have encountered working on the same types of products are burned out on them. Yeah. Because the ability to 
make one that is not only sustainable, but that the community positively reacts to is incredibly difficult. And even if you do something that is objectively good, it doesn't take a lot for uh, a minor element or a perceived inconsistency or um, a an a subjective lack of fairness in one way or another. Like Mexico is a great example of this. Still not on the tour, so there's no version of a tour that is fair to Mexico. Right. Um, so I know when we added Africa, it created a huge question mark around, well, what about all these other places that should be here? And we just either didn't have an organizer to work with or didn't have an available weekend on the tour or something and something and something and something. Yeah. And you always hope that that will change. But the I think the patience necessary to go from the product you have to the potential perfect product down the line is very easy to run out of. Yeah, it's. And, and like the thing is, is you're battling for so many things for so long and trying to figure out what is the right thing to do, right? It's not an easy process. It's not like a black and white process of this is what makes a good tour. This is what doesn't. And let's get these things done and these things not done or whatever, right? It's so complicated and there's so many things going on. And that's before something as dramatic as what has happened this year happens, right? You plan for all these different things and, you know, there's just so much that could go wrong or right to make a tour yep. correct, you know? Oh, I sit around routinely at the moment wondering, what CPT would have been like this year because they were launching a dramatically different format with a close out at the end of the year with that world warrior circuit that we still never even got full details on. Right. So we don't even know how that fully integrated into something that looked like it was very interested in producing more of a, I don't even know. Yeah. Don't, that, know but it's like that. fascinating, right? Cause not, we don't know what it was even going to do. And, you know, the Tekken tour last year was so different than what other tours have done in our community in particular. So it was going to be really interesting to see CPT pivot because for a long time, CPT has been the tournament. And then all the other tours that kind of existed were sort of just CPT clones for a long time because it did it the most correct first. Right. And everybody was like, this is awesome. We just got to keep doing this. So, yeah, I was interested in seeing what they were going to do, too. I mean, even TWT when it launched was a region locked CPT light. Yeah, is probably the shorthand version of saying it. And it took us three years to pivot into something that was going to be TWT as its own standalone product. So, right. and yeah, that's, I'm, I was going to say that's different. like a pain point for all kinds of tours still, right? Like they're still, it seems like everybody was like, okay, the CPT thing works, we got to do it. And then now how do we take it from the CPT thing to something that fits our game or our community or what most benefits all the players in our scene and like what's the right thing to do? You know, it's really interesting. Yeah, and I think most of the games need something different now. The the nicety is the CPT format that's always worked, the TWT format from last year, it's going to work for any fighting game because most of the fighting games operate the same way. They're just at different resource scales or community sizes. Right. But I think what each of the games currently need from a tour is also different. So if we can figure out a good way that we can have tours that are doing slightly different things, but all cohabitate within our larger community ecosystem. That's a win. Yeah. But a difficult one for sure. It seems <laughs> so incredibly yeah. exhaustingly difficult. And it's why like, yeah, it's another job like TOing that I look at and I'm like, I'm so happy. That's not me. I just get to sit here and read the press release to my chat room. Once it's all done. <laughs> Yeah, but you got to worry about having a haircut all the time, and I don't. I will. I'm cursed. There's nothing. I realized I was playing Animal Crossing, and I realized like my Animal Crossing character will have nicer hair than me. He's got a fade. I was like, I won't have a fade. I don't have a fade. It's already too late. And my barber, he's gone. When Dude, I would, what happened? My barber is dying, 
at the moment because they've just been shut down. Oh, yeah. I gave him an imaginary beer trim tip yesterday. Like, literally just venmo to money going, hey, pay you for your Netflix bill. <laughs> I got to find my barber. I got to look him up on anything that I can because when I saw him last, as he was cutting my hair, he was like, oh, I think I might have had corona a few weeks ago, but I'm fine now. And I was like... And I was terrified, but then nothing happened. And then now I'm like, well, he's good. He's in the clear. He's either had it or he doesn't have it now. So I like need to hit him up and like have him come to my house in a hazmat suit and like start lining me up. You know, I'm like, dang, yeah. he's got to hook I it just, up. I just, I, I need Moose to survive because he has become the guy where I know I can get a decent beard trim. I know I can get a decent haircut. I don't have to go to two separate people. I can just go one place, be done. Yeah, that is a fantastic feeling. I mean, I was in San Francisco for years, and I couldn't replace a guy that was even half as good as he was. It's terrible. That feels bad. Plus, his 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 taste in music is good. That is so important it's the full, too. Full proper experience. Yeah, I noticed that you you always have a very your guys' trailers are always very particular about the music that you guys have on there and stuff. And I I feel like Combo Breaker is very it's interesting because the event is very focused on those trailers and like the visual and the music and stuff, but I don't often even see you talking about necessarily what goes into it, like on Twitter or anything. No, I usually don't. Is there a reason for that? <laughs> or is it just complicated? Uh, I don't know if it's complicated. It's just most of the brand is built so I make everything. I just work sure. with a couple of people each year if I want to get small kind of adjustments or feature sets that I don't have time for. Uh, this year, for instance, we worked with a guy named Snooze One, who's a graph writer over in Europe, to do all of the new lettering that we've been putting on everything. Yeah. Um, been working with Meeks again to do all the kind of digital trailer edits and some of the VFX work. But most of the time, it's just callbacks to things that I was interested in when I was getting into communities when I was young, because I think there is a... There are certain aesthetics that stand the test of time to me, mm -hmm. and that kind of do-it-yourself kind of hardcore band sort of look, that's existed since music started. So if that's been good for 40-plus years, it's got to be fine for our event. Yeah, and it, it helps that, like, yeah, part of your background is, you know, you can create things like this. Like you said, a lot of the stuff for Comic you just make it, right? So it's your own stuff. So. When TOs are, or anybody is creating anything like that, yeah, your own skill set and preferences will leak in no matter what. And I think that that Get is better. something that's important. If you're doing an event and none of yourself leaks into it, you shouldn't be making it. Yeah, like what? who's the event even for at that point? If you wouldn't attend your own event, it's like, what? That, I feel that way about commentary. Like I wouldn't, you know, it's like the kind of stuff I do. I don't want to do anything that I wouldn't want to listen to. And Gerald mentioned that for video creating, which I think is very important to you. And I think when it comes to creating anything, right, it's like so important to consider that kind of stuff. So I was going to say, is there anything that you would say to TOs out there who are interested in like starting something even locally? I mean, now currently you don't start anything, but you yeah, know, local advice right now is tough. Yeah, but, but like, you know, they have some time to think about it now. I think a lot of the time it just boils down to build an experience that you find personally enjoyable. So you're going to want to do it over and over again, because right. if you do it and it works, if that hits and everybody comes by and they have a good time, you're going to be doing that forever yeah. until you burn out. And so it needs to be something you like and that you appreciate. Cause if it's not, you, you're not going to want to do it right away. So if you set up a, like a casual competitive local where everybody's grilling out back and just having a good time and, half the guys doing the stream are drunk and that's just the vibe you're after that can be dope but if what you wanted was eight guys that showed up hung out in the garage and just 
ground out setups until you were champion caliber players because nothing else matters. So that's it. It's just setup after setup after setup after execution trial. Right. Uh, you're not going to be happy with your event because that's not what you built. Yeah. So figure out what you want, what you want to promote, what feels good to you, and go run with it. And if you can't find anybody to appreciate it, then yeah, maybe pivot if you need to. But it has been my experience that if you build authentic products, you will find like-minded people. Yeah, and I think that that's such an important thing because something that I've done as I've traveled around is I've been to local scenes everywhere, right? And one thing is I have met local scenes where they have their best player who's like a pretty good player in their region and maybe in their state or whatever, but they know realistically where most of the players are in their community and they don't care. Like they're like, you know, the best thing about fighting games is that we're all cool. We all love fighting games. We don't care about winning. We just want to go to this tournament together eat some dope food, like have some drinks, talk a bunch of shit and have a good time. You know what I mean? And most fighting game fans I expect will enjoy that much more than like, all right, we have to get together from two to four on two. It's like band practice. Like we got to get together. We got to grind out today. You're playing this. I'm playing this character. Like, you know, maybe that is what you're interested in. But for the most part, like the building those relationships and having fun, enjoyable events are what people will stick around for a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think the, the caveat to that is you can build sure. experiences that do both. You can yeah. have the cool garage cade barbecue and then, you know, in the in the room in the house is the four people that are talking about frame data until they have to leave. Right. One of whom never even plays a match. He's only there to talk about frame data and theory fighting. Yeah. Um Everybody knows that guy. <laughs> Everybody has that one friend who, like, when you lose a match, he's like, well, let me tell you about why this was supposed to happen like this. And you're like, uh. Yeah. You could have done that move that was plus three there. It would have led into this. And you could have done that. It's like, that move's plus two. It's, nah, man, let me prove it to you. It's let me three. show you. If you hit it on the late active frame, let me show you the setup for your character. You're like, bro, you don't even play my character. You're like, I know, but I saw this. I was watching a Japanese match footage last night. I saw this sick setup. Yep. Ryan Hunter and Infilament both say, is this podcast about me? <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. You guys have picked on me? Just so random. Oh, where's where's the Street Fighter 4 setup with Vicious when you need him? Yep. That's, he's just going to show up out of nowhere and be like, let's play. Like, that's just how it is. But yeah, that's the cool part about events. And like everything, right? Is yeah. When you, when you know what you want to make and when you create it, it's such a satisfying feeling. No matter what it is. No matter who I talk to and what they do or create. When you're hitting the right thing, it just feels so good. And it's... It's hard to explain how important that is to people, I think, in the creation process, you know? Well, and it's it's one of the things I realized about CB when we were, I think it wasn't until we were three years in, to be honest, where I want a tournament that finds the best player from the weekend from each of these games. I want a tournament that still has a competitive vibe, but those late-night casuals is important to me. The walk-around situation is important to me, and, and what really sunk in is I'm less interested in building a tournament as I am in building an atmosphere. Right. And I want a tournament inside that atmosphere, but I don't think the tournament is what most of the attendees are paying to experience. It's not what I'm paying to experience. So right. let's put the rest of the pieces together. Yeah. And I think that is part of that part of the mystique is what people don't realize until they're there. And it's something that is is hard to replace. And when people talk about how much they like the event, it's such a, a core part of it. And in our community in particular, I feel like people really resonate with that kind of feeling. It's not so much about... The championship moments are great, and people wake up early to go watch finals and check out finals, and all that kind of stuff is cool. But that is just one important part of the weekend, and maybe to a lot of people, not the most important part. Yeah, I think that's true. 
<laughs> Another, the last thing that I was going to say is that a lot of people, I think, who will create anything, in particular something like a tournament, they don't realize how often you create something and then people are like, wow, Combo Breaker was so sick or this was so tight or whatever the hell happened was so sick. And meanwhile, Rick is the most miserable person on the planet. <laughs> I cannot tell you guys how like when Combo Breaker happens or the TWT finals happens and I was like, dude, that was so awesome. Rick is like, all right, well, at exactly four hours, 31 minutes and 15 seconds into the VOD, you'll notice there's a visual discrepancy and it's just a, the event's ruined. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? No one Look. even noticed that. <laughs> There are two events now that I've been, I think, satisfied with. So we're two doing events better ever? than we used to be. Yeah, there's two. Two? How many? <laughs> That's absurd. What do you mean two? Yeah, no, nah, I'm going to stand by that. You're two for like 999 or something, and that's okay? That's about where I'm at in the bracket, too. So it works Damn. out. That's fucked up. Curly says there was one point late on Saturday that Rick was happy, and that was about it. That was the only time you were happy. Nah, come on. MK9 was on Friday. So you were happy for two times all weekend. No, I mean, CB, CB 2019 as a whole, I was actually very happy with. One of the reasons I didn't want to I didn't want to go to the new venue, I didn't want to build a new event experience, I was happy with the 2019 experience. I was very content to just run that back forever until somebody fell into the pool with their fight stick and we got shut down permanently. Um but it's hard for me to, I think, work on anything and get done with it and truly be satisfied with it. Because yeah. part of what I want to do is perpetually improve things. And since we don't have the resources to make giant leaps in improvements, it's, it's always going to be incremental. I think right. one of the few times I got to make a giant leap in improvement where I just automatically felt good was when we went from the TWT finals experience in San Francisco to the TWT finals experience in Amsterdam. Right. And that Amsterdam event has a ton of flaws and some serious mistakes. And one of the worst bracket screw up situations I've ever been part of. Mm. So I was miserable for most of the weekend, but I got done. And as a whole, that was an amazing two days of Tekken. Right. And it's, it's hard to look back on that particular weekend for me at this point and feel anything, but both, proud of what we put together knowing the obstacles we faced and trying to create it but also that had just never existed before like there hadn't been an event like that in amsterdam there had barely been an event like that for the fighting game community in europe as a whole there are a couple of really really great conventions in europe there are a couple of really interesting uh tekken specific showcases damage germany is always a good example of that where it's a fun show to watch and you can tell the people behind it not only care but they're invested in what they're doing for sure but there has never been there hadn't been a twt finals and we got to have a, some of that feeling again at the bangkok event this year it wasn't quite the same but i i want the community to have more of that and so those are the things that I tend to get excited about now because otherwise, yes, I'm going to nitpick the hell out of every single thing I do till I'm dead. You know, that was a very relatable feeling for sure. <laughs> the, the relate, the feeling of like never being satisfied, like something gets finished and they're like, wow, that was sick. That happened. And you're like, yeah, well, you know, it could have been, I'd said this when I was supposed to do that, or I missed this one thing on this video, or I did like, everybody knows that feeling of feeling that way. And other people will be like, nah, bro, it was the sickest thing and you crushed it. And you're just like, God, it was awful. There was nothing good. <laughs> like you're just always so frustrated. 
I made the mistake of looking at the chat, so I'm going to answer a question. You are going to uh, answer? I was thinking about I'm asking answer you. answer a question. But... Uh, Zio asked me if there just wasn't, money wasn't in the way, resources weren't in the way, what kind of event would I run? And this will probably sound very, very strange coming from me, but I would run the version of Strong Style that doesn't lose money, but not change anything about it. <laughs> Just do the exact same thing. Two years ago at Strong Style, and maybe last year at Master Cup, actually, are two of my favorite experiences in the community, period. And neither of them, I think, are flawless events in any way. Yeah. But many of the issues in them as events are also what makes them great. And exactly. I think a lot of the time, when we have events that have money, that have strong support, we start... We start solving for all of these problems because money allows you to. And I don't know if we always solve them in a way that maintains the attendee experience. And so once the attendee experience is gone, yes, maybe you made a better product, you made a better show, you made a, a, a sustainable experience, but was it better? Um, uh, Evo is a great example of that when they got rid of the pit because we got the big arena show. And objectively... The big arena show is better for Evo. It's better for a huge chunk of the attendees. It's better for presentation and broadcast and the prestige of the experience. For sure. But losing the ability to kind of sit in that pit of 100 people shoulder to shoulder like it's a mosh pit and have that guy next to you when somebody gets KO'd, just grab your shoulder <laughs> like everyone's Tasty Steve. That experience the first time I went to Evo was phenomenal. And so the year it disappeared that hurt and it didn't make evo bad i still loved that year but that's i think what i mean whereas if i could just solve for the fact that strong style bleeds money yeah and let it just still be strong style that's what i would do yeah there's a lot of, is, of charm that goes away i think with solutions sometime and that's a good way to think about it for sure like yeah. it's it's not like the production for strong style is so different from so many other events they're just you know a few shots in Everybody's having a good time. They're jumping around. The matches are entertaining. And the whole, the, the feeling is great. I know what you mean about Master Cup, too, because I went to Master Cup. Master Cup was tight. I had a great time there. So I loved good. it. All of us were just, yeah, like the event's not perfect. It's a Japanese tournament where some stuff runs a little slow. The brackets are a little weird. The format's a little off the wall. But, like, it's just hilarious, right? Like, it's just such a fun and cool community experience that is, like, I don't know if I want the brackets. Japanese commentators to stare at brackets for 35 minutes on a break. Like, it doesn't make any sense in my head, but it's part of the event where we just sit there and watch it. And we're like, what the fuck's going on? I don't care, man. We're chilling. I mean, Master Cup has one of my largest pet peeves of any event I go to. And it's one of the reasons that CB costs too much money next year. Because we talked about chairs cost money per chair. Yeah, there's and no seating there. You can't ever afford enough seating for every single person that shows up. Like 5,000 chairs at CB would cost an absurd amount of money because they're trying to charge us $11 a chair. But the Master Cup has nowhere to sit. At all. There's two stools per setup. Those stools can't move because there's tons of teams, and teams are five players deep. So if you're going to sit anywhere, it's on the floor. And I am not flexible, so that, that thing where you just sit butterfly style and you kind of lean up and look yeah. at the screen and you're comfortable, I ain't comfortable that way. So I have to go to the back of the room to fight for the scrap of two feet of wall space to lean against to, which I've done every year I've gone. Yeah. And like last year, I wound up doing that in the back of the room, sharing chips with some guy whose name I don't know because I can't speak Japanese. And when he was sitting next to me, he was just like, 
Eh? And handed you chips, yeah. I was like, I mean, I could have bonded poison, but, you know, it was great. Yeah. That would not have happened if we'd had chairs. No. Yeah, and I, I remember the the Mastercope I was at, I was sitting on a production trunk that no one was using. It was like an empty trunk where they were loading stuff in, talking to Gerald, and we had to crane our necks to see the match, and we were, our, our necks were all fucked up. And it was a great time, but there was no seating, and all of us were, our backs were, you know, because you sit there like this, looking up at the screen, your back's all fucked up. And then, when we wanted to watch the Jimmy versus Knee match, we sat outside a convenience store, 10 deep, looking at a surface. That was great, by That the was way. this big. This surface was this big, and 10 of us are staring at the match, like, watching this match. That, and that was a great experience, too, but it's like, yeah, it's, there, you know, it could have been on a projector, 100 feet wide, watching it, or something, but it wouldn't have been that, better. Yeah, that... Getting kicked off we did the get curb of that convenience store over into the park where we got warned we'd get kicked out of the park. Yeah. Particularly since we were betting candy on the matches, if memory serves correct. We were betting uh, on the counter hit launchers that would hit. Yeah. 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 Our snack. That, I mean, that hour is one of my favorite hours in all of the trips to Japan we've had. And like mm-hmm. Japan itself is an amazing experience. I'm deeply thankful I've gotten to have more than once, but chilling outside the convenience store with the homies trying to watch the match with Jimmy. That was the best hour of that whole weekend, and For nothing sure. about that is supposed to be a good experience. Yeah, it was all of it was bad. We got kicked out of the convenience store. We went to the park. There was like a homeless guy that was trying to yell at us in Japanese in the park, and we had to shoo him off because like, all of us were like, ah, and we're just like watching this match <laughs> on this little surface. No seats. We're sitting on like these circular bars that are like blocking yep. trees. Like it was, yeah, it was a good time for sure. And that stuff is, as you say, hard to replace for sure. Well, you know, it's because you, you can't create that intentionally because if you do, it's bad. Yeah. But if it happens organically, it's often great. Yeah. And that's impossible. That is like one of the worst sentences you can say out loud, too, because it's like, well, how am I supposed to prep for that? It's impossible. But that's what makes it perfect for when it happens. Yep. Well, here's the last thing. Where can people find news and information about CB? Anything you want to tell everybody who's watching the show? Where can they find all the stuff that you do, you and Kat are doing all the time? Uh, Everything about CB can be found at combobreaker.org. You can follow Combo Breaker on Twitter. You can follow the Hado on Twitter. Uh, at the moment, all I really want from people is please film stories. If you've been to CB, I want to hear about your experience. I want to make that part of the retrospective that we're going to put together Memorial Day weekend. That show will not be as good if it's just me and Sajan. I no. promise you, it will be a worse show. So help us make it great. Yeah, that would be dope. I'm super looking forward to that. I think it's such a cool idea, and it's such an extra over-the-top idea, which is why it fits you and Combo Breaker and all of your staff perfectly. For sure. So I'm excited for that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And thanks, Rick, for giving me some of your time to chit-chat. I know you had to have a babysitter in this time because you guys are new parents. Congrats, everybody in the chat. Tell Rick and Kat congrats, by the way, on having a kid and not having any sleep. That's awesome. That must make being a T.O. great. Um, (laughs) If I ever have another child, I'm going to try to plan it to where that kid is born in the fall. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Okay, that's probably, yeah, it's probably better that way for your sanity and for the event and for everything. <laughs> but congrats to you guys. I hope everything's going all right and swell. Uh, thanks for sitting down and chit-chatting. I'm sure this will not be the last time. So uh, anything that you guys wanted me to ask that I didn't ask, I'll look at it. We'll ask it later. You can find this on YouTube later if you missed any of it. You can find it on podcast sites if you want to listen to it later. Thanks for coming on and saying what's good. And I'll catch you guys next time. Peace out, everybody.
Adiós.